Welcome and good morning. What a blessing it is to be here and to to start off this day. You know that uh, there's been a hole that has been in our hearts for a few years because we have not had the lectureship as we have traditionally, and there's been this gap. And many of the men have been speaking about this throughout the weekend, and we've recognized this. And as we look at this and consider this, I am strengthened. I I am just, I, I am built up. I'm encouraged, I'm edified to see, to be with all of you this morning, to hear the conversations that are going on, to see the smiles that we haven't seen each other in a few years, and the, hey, hey, how are you doing? It's so good to see you. And then to sit there and to have a a warm embrace. And then to meet new brothers and sisters that we have not met before, but we've been separated as if we've been long-lost friends, and then now we come together because we share something in Christ. And this is the, the beautiful thing of the edification, the encouragement that we have. And I'm not going to say you're beautiful, but I'm going to say that I love being here this morning. And Kevin has such a big spot in my heart. This morning we're going to be in Mark the 13th chapter. And let's let's go ahead and turn over to Mark the 13th chapter. And we're going to be picking up in um, verses 32 on through 37. And this is going to be a discussion that Jesus is having. It's the end of the conversation that, it, that he is having. And we see this image of the faithful servant. So as we pick up and read in Mark 13, starting verse 32, But of the day or the hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey, who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. And in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep, what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Now, as we look at this passage and we see this, we see something that's uh, probably jumped out at your mind as we read this right here. Jesus tells these gathered disciples, and it's just a few of them. We'll see this as we look back in the beginning of uh, chapter 13. We'll see that it's Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He tells them four times to be on the alert and to, to be awake. And this is literally what it means, to lie awake or to be sleepless. You ever have a night where you were sleepless? Nothing you could do seemed to bring you into that state where you could rest. Or maybe you had something that was anxious that was upon you. Maybe you're thinking back to uh, a time in childhood when you were going to take your first airplane trip. And there you're thinking about this and, you know, your parents are telling you about what to expect. And did you sleep before you got on that airplane? If you could remember that. Maybe you did this as an adult and you didn't sleep before you got on that airplane. 
But you had that anxiety, you had that anticipation, you had that excitement. And that, it, that it's all what it was, is bringing it all together. This excitement, this anticipation that leads to an alertness and, and being awake. And this is what Jesus is speaking to, and we glean this right away as we see this. We glean this and it gives us such uh, a good understanding of what Christ is calling us to do and who he's calling us to be. As we walk through this world, as we go through our day-to-day lives, there's so many things that distract us. How many of us have sat down and said, okay, I'm just going to spend the next 10 minutes on Facebook? And then you look up and you're like, where did the last three hours go? Or maybe you did that with Netflix. Or maybe you did it with something else. And, and you put in, put in the, the distraction that's there for you. It doesn't have to be technology. It doesn't have to be Facebook. It might be a good, a good book other than the Lord's book. It might be a wonderful novel that you're reading and you just can't seem to put it down. But anything that's distracting us from him, it's a distraction. And he is calling us to be alert. Well, let's go ahead and turn over to Romans, the 13th chapter. In Romans, the 13th chapter, verses 11 through 14, Paul is writing here to the church in Rome and he's, he's beginning to wrap up some of his thoughts and he's, and he's putting things in a very practical way. Do this, knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. And there's so much right there in that verse. So much that we could wrap up and that we can just look at and unpack together and see this, that from the time that we have first been, we have first heard the word. And then from the time that we have responded to the word and the time that we were baptized and the time that, that we have uh, responded and begin to grow and we begin to bear fruit, there, the, the time is passing. The hour is passing and we are waking up out of the slumber that we were in and that we are now walking in the light and we have life. And we understand this and we begin to know it with a fullness that Jesus is calling us and saying, I came to bring life and bring it in abundance or more fully or more completely and that while we are in this world of this world we have these blinders on and we see through a dimness and we have these goggles that are distracting us and and we don't understand the depth of who we really are but now with Christ we are awakening and that we see this and that we recognize this ain't our home this ain't our home we're we're just passing through you know, this morning we were we were driving up from Soldatna and, and we were concerned about getting here on time, but it just happened that when we were coming over the turn again arm, and right at that time the sun is starting to come over the peaks, and you begin to see the snow and the glow on everything, and, and it was just it was beautiful. And it's turned to my wife and I said, God is awesome. God is good. And the kids in the back seat, when they could see it, they wow. Wow, this world is beautiful. God's creation is beautiful. And as beautiful as it is, and in the awe that we stand and we look at it, this is not our home. This is not our home. We're here but just for a span. And we look with anticipation, and we know that the hour, the hour is drawing near. Night is almost gone. Picking up in verse 12 of Romans 13. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in the carousing and the drunkenness, nor in the sexual promiscuity or the sensuality, not in the strife or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. 
So here, Paul is right, just wrapping this up and saying, come out of the darkness, you're now being exposed to the light, you're coming into this new life, that hour is drawing near, don't stay in this uh, stupor that you are in, but now come into the light and be prepared and, and don't, don't understand or don't know the things of this world. And this is what Jesus is speaking about here in, in Mark 13. As we look back and we see that he is saying, be prepared, be a faithful servant that is looking for your master and being prepared for your master. Now, what I want to draw out of this this morning is the excitement and the anticipation that Jesus is giving to his disciples. What he is giving to them, he is not speaking these words in a, in a vacuum. He is speaking to the anxiety and to the cares and to the things that are before him at that moment. So if you will, turn with me back to Mark, the 13th chapter, and we'll look at the uh, the first few verses here. And what we see is that the setting the stage, Jesus is coming out of the temple, and one of his disciples say to him, Teacher, behold, what wondrous stones and what a wonderful buildings. And this is something that we might do, that we might understand, as we're coming out of a, a place that has some some marvelous work of, of man, that we would say, wow, isn't this amazing? I, I definitely, if I was sitting there, I would think, how on earth did they move that stone into that place without the equipment that we have today? That was some engineering ingenuity. That was something that was awesome. And I can imagine the disciples kind of having that discussion. But Jesus' response wasn't, oh yeah, that looks good, but wait for heaven. He doesn't say it that way. He says, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Imagine the blow that came to them at that moment. Wow, what an awesome work we see. What, what Herod has done to build up this temple and, and the work that man has done. And then, wait, it's, it's not gonna last. It's not, it's not gonna last. And they remain silent here as we continue on because now they've gone from out of the temple and now we see them up on the Mount of Olives. So they've walked a little bit of a distance. They've had some time to ponder and to think about it. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, so they're still sitting there and looking and examining and seeing, Peter, James, John, and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? Now, I don't think this was just curiosity that was beginning to peak within them, because what would our response be if Christ told us, hey, this city that we're in right now, it's not going to look like this. Those buildings that are going to come down. The roads that we drove in on, they're not going to last. What would we be thinking? Oh, we'd have all sorts of thoughts. Is there another earthquake? Is that what's going to happen? But Jesus goes on and he gives, and we're not going to dig into all the the points of of Mark 13, uh, but go ahead and read it. Go ahead and examine it because Jesus tells them that there is going to be wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and famine and earthquakes. So the same thing that we might say, um, is is this going to happen? They're worried. How How is this going to be? Are we anxious about the world around us right now? I turn on the news and I become a little bit anxious. In fact, um, 
as we were coming up, uh, Courtney and I were discussing this, and she said, I haven't turned on the news in a week, and I feel peace. Oh, man, talk about a beautiful thing right there. Not not the news, not Instagram, not Facebook, just taking a little bit break from it and saying, I feel peace. Because right now, when we turn on the news and we see things and we read things, we become anxious. We become anxious and we begin to wonder, what is going on? What is going on and, and what is happening and what will tomorrow bring and what will it bring for those that we love and what will it bring for the, the greater picture of things? And Jesus is going through and he paints this, this picture that seems pretty dire. And it's, it has a, a very fantastic image. But then as he brings it to a close, he brings in things that have some anticipation. Jesus, as he is wrapping up this, this image and this discussion in verses 32 through 37 here of Mark 13, he uses two pictures that are going to give an illustration of excitement and anticipation with joy. And let me show you. Jesus uses two Hebrew idioms in verse 32. But of the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Now, you may be wondering what exactly is an idiom. But to help you understand, it's, it's words that we would know the definition of, but when you put them together in a context, we may miss the context. For an example, if you were to speak or say something along the lines of the Bible Belt to somebody who is an English speaker but not of this nation, would they understand that you are speaking of a region of the country or would they be thinking about something that you would hold your Bible together? There would be a little bit of of confusion that might be in this. They would not understand. They would know the words, but they would not understand the context of it. Or how about specifically for us here in Alaska? We, We... we use this at times when we speak to others uh, out of Alaska and other saints in other places, and we describe ourselves as God's chosen frozen, or frozen chosen. Let me get it right. God's frozen chosen. And somebody else might say, what do you mean by that? Well, it's colder here than Arizona. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, ah, ha, ha. That's funny now. So now they begin to understand. But here is Jesus is giving this. This is information that he is telling to two or to four men who grew up in this uh, environment and they would understand these idioms and know the pictures instantly, instantly of what he's referring to. So what is he speaking of here? The, as we break it down in verse 32, but of the day or the hour, no one knows... And this is going to be uh, uh, an idiom in one group, and then the next one is, go, is going to be not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father of lo- alone. And these two different pictures come from two different events, and they were common phrases within the, the, uh, the Hebrew language and, and understanding. And the first one specifically deals with the Feast of Trumpets, in the, or the Feast of the Lord in the Day of Trumpets. And the second one specifically deals with the Hebrew wedding model. So we're going to break these down a little bit because what I want you to see is the anticipation and the excitement that Jesus is talking to these men and that we can share in as we look at the world that's around us. And sometimes we begin a little anxious and we we might have that anxious uh, feeling about us and it begins to work upon our walk with Christ. Second Timothy 1 verse 7 says that we were given... Not a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, 
of love. So no matter what we're facing, no matter what's around us right here, this is going to be the same thing as Jesus describes what the events are going to be to these four brothers, to these four disciples, and describes it to them, and they might be rocked for a moment. And, it, and the same thing is true, that God gave them not a spirit of timidity, but a power of love. So in the same way, we have that same power and love. So let's, let's examine and look a little bit at these, um, at these different pictures. The first is going to be um, the, the Feast of Trumpets. And you can find this in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. But what happens here is this event happens on the first day of the seventh month. It's the first day of the seventh month. And in the seventh month, um, there are three different festivals that happen. It's the, the Day of Trumpets. On the 1st, on the 10th, it's the Day of Atonement, and on the 15th through the 21st is the Feast of Tabernacles. You may know a few of those. You may not have heard of any of those. But for these four brothers, they understood this and they knew this. And this was a time of excitement because nobody knew exactly when the Feast of Trumpets was coming because it needed the new moon. It needed the new moon to be to be seen. So you had the last waxing sliver of the moon that would be visible in the sky. And they were waiting for the first waning moon, the sliver, to come in. Now, there might be a three-day period in between those two spots. And we all know that the sun rises pretty consistently on a pattern, and the moon rises consistently on a pattern. But does the moon always rise at sunset? Does it sometimes rise in the middle of the night? Does it sometimes rise in the middle of the day? Does it sometimes rise in the morning? The priest could not declare it to be the first day of the month and thus the day of trumpets to begin until that first sliver was seen. So they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. And it may take a day or two, but they knew it's coming. And they knew it was coming. And then once that day came, they would send out messengers and they would send them across the land and they would carry the message and say, today is the day that we are to blow this trumpet and we're to shout and we're to have this loud exclamation and where it's to be a remembrance. And it's a remembrance of what they have done because they have now 10 days to consider who they are before the day of atonement and they are now before the Lord. It's also called the, it's called the 10 days of awe or the 10 days of repentance or the period of repentance. And they are bringing their, their time together to be uh, examined before the Lord. And then after that day of atonement, after the, the priest has gone into the Holy of Holies, it only happens once a year. He goes into the Holy of Holies and he makes atonement for the nation, for the land, for the tabernacle, for the people. He makes this atonement and the sins are then sent off on the scapegoat. Five days later, they have the happiest celebration for a full eight days of any time in the year. Because they're thinking about all that God has done for them and they are excited about that. So when Christ makes this mention about this feast, he's connecting in a time of anticipation, but also a time of joy, a time of excitement, a time of understanding that God is there with them. And Jesus doesn't just connect this, he connects it with his return. 
He takes and he links his return with the cultural understanding of this feast. We see this in Matthew 24, verses 30 and 31. This is where Jesus is, uh, it's Matthew's account of, of what we're reading here in Mark 13. And there in Matthew, Jesus says, And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Paul picks up on this image, and in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52, Behold, I lay, or I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. And in the moment, a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul is dealing there with a a question about what's going to happen to the dead who are in Christ. And this was a bit of anxiety for those brothers and sisters there in Thessalonica. And in the midst of his answer, Paul says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout and with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, so that we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul is is using this image and he's saying, hey, you're anxious about this, this right here, but think about what's coming that we're going to be with our Lord forever. We're going to be there and now comfort one another with these words. So when somebody is anxious about what they're facing, do we, do we focus on that moment and the, and the little hill that is before them? Or do we focus on the glories that we have in Christ? Do we focus on the joy that we have in Christ? Do we focus on the blessings that we have? And that this world is temporal. It's going to disappear. How do we know that? Just look at your own body. There's none of us here who are getting better with age. We might get wiser... We might do all sorts of other things, but each and every one of us at some point said, I'm getting too old for this. Or this hurts more than it used to. I can't stay up as late as I once could. Oh, if I had the wisdom of my age now and the and the uh, energy of a teenager. Oh, if I had those two things and I could put them together. I could rule the world. That's why God didn't let us do that. We're not meant to rule the world. This world is passing away. And this is actually, some people look at this and they, in fact, the world looks at this and they get upset. Oh, this is, this is just, it's passing away. I don't have what I once had. This should be something that brings us joy. Oh, I'm one day closer. One day closer. I am one day closer. I woke up today and you know what? God hasn't called me home yet, but I'm one day closer. And if I'm one day closer, what does that say? I can keep taking that and and walking in that race, running in that race. And I keep he who is the author and perfecter of my faith. I'm not quoting it exactly. I'm hoping you're considering where I'm going right now in Hebrews. 
And you know that you are looking at the author and perfecter of our faith. And we are laying off every encumbrance. Oh, this right here, it's, it's bogging me down. It's, I'm, I'm done with it. I don't need that anymore. This right here, it's distracting me. I don't need it. My eyes are focused. My eyes are on the Lord. And that I have that excitement. Excitement because there in Hebrews, if you haven't figured it out yet, it's Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. That for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? Maybe I should ask, who was that joy? Read that verse in front of a mirror. Because you are that joy. You are that joy for Christ. And what does that do for us? Does that build you up? That builds me up. That encourages me. That builds me up that I could say, okay, I'm facing something, but I am a joy to my Lord. I am a blessing to my Lord. Do I disobey occasionally? Yeah. Do you disobey occasionally? Yeah. But I'm still a joy. I hope parents are already thinking about this in regards to their children. Oh, you annoy me. But you're my joy. Oh, you make my life tough. But you're a joy. You don't listen to me all the time. But you're my joy. Let's go ahead and, and look at this other picture that we have here. So not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. This is speaking of the Hebrew wedding model. And in this, um, this is a beautiful image. If you haven't studied this and looked at it, uh, go ahead and, and take some time uh, someday and, and study it and look at it. Because it shows this beautiful picture of how God interacts with, with, with his bride, with us. Because you can see a lot of different teaching that comes out and describes what the bride and the groom did and how God has led the way for us. But specifically for this, after the betrothal of the young woman to the young man, the groom would go with his father and prepare a place for his bride. Think about Joseph and Mary. They are betrothed, they are considered man and wife, but they are not yet living together and they haven't consummated the marriage. They are not living together. So there's an image right there of of this in um, the life of Jesus. But only the groom's father could proclaim that all was ready and allowed the groom to go and retrieve his bride. So the, the young man is there with his father and they're building onto the house and it might mean that they're building an extra room on the side of the house. Maybe they're building up. Maybe they're doing, uh, they're building in, in some other way. It would be different out in the country than it would be in Jerusalem or some other city where they didn't have room to expand laterally, but they had to go up horizontally. But it took some time and it took some effort and there the father was working with the son and the father would be the one that would say, now you are ready. Go get your bride. If you left it up to the man, the, the, the groom, rather, it would probably be about the point that we could have a tent or, or a tarp secured up, maybe not even secure in the storm, but we would, we would be cutting corners. We, we would be moving too soon. But the father would say, no, now is the time. 
Now is the time and that we are going to, you can go and retrieve your bride. Think about all the excitement right here in this moment. All the excitement that is there with the, the bride that has been waiting for her husband, her groom to come and to say, or, or news rather, to come and say, I am coming for you. Be ready. I am coming for you. I am coming now. And that you have the bride's family that is there waiting. And you have her friends that are there and they're waiting. And you have all the assembled uh, town and, and extended family that are waiting. And say, oh, it, it has been a... Sometimes it would take two years for this to happen. This wasn't something that would that would happen overnight. It could take between a year and two for this room to be ready and for the groom's father to say, go get your young bride. But it took some time. And you had that anticipation that was going. And you would think about all the different people. You had the groom who would continually send messages to his young bride, reminding her of of his love for her. And she would be sending messages back to him, reminding him of her love for for him. And that you would have the families that would be training up both the the groom and the bride and to be able to live and and interact as they should in husband and wife. And you would have this growth that's there. And now the father says, go. And in John, the 14th chapter... Verses 2 and 3, Jesus there, he's, he's in the last hours with the disciples. They're there in the, uh, in the upper room, and they're in this discussion that Jesus is just pouring out all sorts of things that is going to build them up and encourage them. And in this, he tells them, let your hearts not be troubled. So they have anxiety. They have anxiety at this moment. They're anxious because he's been telling them, I'm going to leave you soon. I'm going to leave you soon. I'm going to die soon. The Son of Man must be lifted up. These things must happen. Peter's response, no, Lord, it ain't going to happen. It can't. Jesus says, no, get behind me, Satan. But he says, let not your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many, and many translations say mansions, but rooms fits in here quite well. In my Father's house are many rooms I go and I make a place for you. If it were not so, I would not tell you. But if I go and prepare a place for you, I will return and call you back to my own. Now we may not understand the image that was being represented right there in John 14, but for the disciples right there as they heard it, and the, and the first and second century Christians as they were reading it, they understood, hey, the groom is talking about coming back and retrieving us as his bride. And he's going to come back and he is going to bring us into his household. And we are going to be there with the Father. And we're going to be there and think about the excitement that would have been there for the disciples. Oh, man. You're leaving, but you're coming back. You're leaving, but you're coming back, and there's a promise of a relationship that is intimate and deep, and one that we don't have to worry about provision. Because when you think about the Father of all of creation, Jehovah God, what can He not provide? There is nothing that He can't provide. How deep is that love? 
Oh man, it's, it's beyond our mortal minds to comprehend. It's beyond what we can understand. It's beyond what we can look at. And this is the picture that Jesus is giving, and he gives it in, in Mark 13 there, and he gives it in, in one verse as it's been broken down by men, but he gives these two different pictures of anticipation. Here is the most joyous time of the year, what's, what might be the most joyous event within a person's life, and the two are being brought together, and they are to be looking forward to the master and to be waiting for him because there is something better than what you're experiencing right now. You disciples, you were looking at that building right there, the temple, and you were thinking, that was awesome, and that was big, and that was strong, and what glorious works men could do, it ain't going to last. It's not going to last. In fact, it's going to be wiped out. But be looking for your master's return. The doorkeeper, what did the doorkeeper do? He waited for the master. He announced the master's coming and return. He welcomed the master in and guarded against intruders. Now, as I was preparing for this lesson, there was something that was really annoying me. And and you might think that this is kind of silly to say that I was annoyed about it. But it was my children and their response to me every time I left the house. Daddy, daddy, I need another kiss. I need a hug. Let me go. I gotta do something. I need to be someplace. No, 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 daddy. I need another kiss. I need a hug. I need a, I. And then when I got home, who was waiting for me? Who would run out onto the deck, sometimes without shoes on, in the snow, in the ice, sometimes in shorts. Get this. They're out, the kids are strange sometimes. They're meeting me, sometimes, but, They're meeting me on the deck. Sun is going down. And both of them are in either shorts or a sundress. My daughter is five. My son is four. Does that explain it? And they're excited. Dad, dad, dad. In fact, i got to tell my son, stay on the porch till I finish driving in so I don't hit you. But that, that excitement... That anticipation. And then, Dad, how was your day? What did you do? Where did you go? Can I go with you tomorrow? Can I do these things? The anticipation that that, that my children have to see me again. And, man, talk about a, a moment where I just felt slapped. Here I am annoyed in this, and this is what Jesus is talking about. The, the, the doorkeeper who is looking with excitement and anticipation for the master's return. Should I be having the heart of a child and waiting for my master to return in the same way? Are you coming? Are you? Co- oh, there you are. Oh, tell me about your day and tell me how we are going to be together and tell me I need some love. Please hold me. Pick me up and hold me. Read me a story. These different things. And, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden this begins to make a lot more sense. And I hope it connected in your mind too. How many other places did Christ say that uh, we need to be like little children? But let's look at a few more verses in the, in, the, in the time that we have. I want to use the example of Simeon and Anna. So let's turn over to Luke, the second chapter. Luke, the second chapter. Verses 25 on down through 38. 
And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed him and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light a revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Blessed, or behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that though from many hearts many will be revealed. And there is a a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after after her marriage. And then as a widow in the age of 84, she never left the temple and serving night and day with the fasting and prayer. And at the very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak to him or speak of him to all those who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So here you have these two very um, pious individuals, very, very righteous individuals, and Simeon receives a message from the Holy Spirit that he would not depart this earth until he had seen the consolation of Israel, that he had seen the Lord's Christ. And imagine, just think of that joy. Think of that joy right there as he comes into the temple and here's Mary and Joseph and and Mary is holding the child there, Jesus, in her arms and he takes him and he is holding him and now is, is he just happy or is he weeping with joy? That he has beheld prophecy fulfilled. That he has beheld the Lord moving in such a way as that life will never be the same again. His life is now going to be, uh, he said, you can release me, Lord. You can release me in peace. I have seen your Christ. Are we to have the same excitement? And think about Anna. She comes in and she is advanced in age, but when she sees the babe, she's excited and she cannot stop speaking of him. The joy that continues to flow out. The praise that continues to flow out. Hey, did you see this child right here? This child will change the world. This child is the redemption, is going to be the reconciliation. This child right here is going to make life different for everybody. Because this is the Lord's Christ right here. Right here. Understand this. The one that we've been waiting for. The one that's been prophesied about. That we've been thinking about since since the fall. But when the, with Moses, and Moses said that there will be one like him that comes with power after him, or even Elijah, and all the different prophets that have been speaking about, and all of these that have been pointing towards, here he is. Behold, this is the child, this is the Lord's consolation, this is the blessing that we have been praying about. And we see their excitement, and they're right there at a threshold, a change, a moment in changing of all of history. 
If you sat in a history class and the, and the, um, the professor begins to ask, you know, what was the greatest change in history or moment for change in history, nothing compares to the redemptive work of Christ. Nothing. Nothing. Everything changes here. Everything changes. And now we have the same joy and anticipation as we look forward. Now let me ask this question. Does joy and anticipation affect the way we serve? Does it? Oh, it does. It does. So if we are thinking about the joy that we are to have and the looking forward that we are to have, does it affect the way that we are going to interact with the world or the way we may proclaim the gospel to others? Let's go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians, the, um, the first chapter. And we're not going to get all of these right now, but if you want, you can go ahead and, and take note and, and uh, look at them and, and read them here. But in 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verses, uh, or 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 4 through 9, Paul here, starting his letter and starting this letter to the, the church in Corinth, um, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which is given to you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you were not lacking in any gift awaiting eagerly, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, waiting eagerly the coming of our Lord, who will always confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing this about the, the brothers and sisters in, in Corinth and he is encouraging, building them up, telling them that he is thanking God for them and he is saying that you would be built up, enriched, and that you would have the knowledge that you need, all knowledge, and that you would be waiting eagerly the return of the Lord. Anticipation that we would be there like the child on the deck. Are you there yet? Are you coming? Are you coming? Now we might say, well, that's a tough thing because it's been 2,000 years. But we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We don't know if tomorrow will be our last. We don't know if this day will be our last. Does that give us any excuse to not be looking forward with anticipation? Not a bit. Let's go ahead and look at Philippians, the third chapter. Philippians, the third chapter, verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of his glory by exertion of the power that he has even to the subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is not in this world. 
You know, this is this is something that is is in the news right now, a conversation of what citizenship means. And it's and it's right there and and we might have different and opposing views. Set it all aside. Because for us, it doesn't matter. It matters nothing at all because our citizenship is in heaven and we are eagerly awaiting awaiting that we can get rid of this mortal body with its aches and pains and creaks and brokenness, that we will be transformed into a glory that is beyond our comprehension at this moment, but that we will be there with our Lord for eternity and it will be the most joyous time of our existence. And this is what Jesus is focusing on as he is talking to the disciples as we read. So when we are reading this again in Mark 13 and we're thinking about the faithful servant, it's not just being faithful, but it's the attitude that we have and being excited and waiting because we want to be there and not just be present when our Lord returns. We want to be excited. We want to have joy. We want to be overflowing with joy and emotion. Because we recognize this world is done and we're going to something better. Thank you for your time this morning. Thank you for the blessing of allowing me to speak to you. And I pray that the rest of this weekend is an encouragement and uplifting to you. Thank you. Sing one song before we take our break. Do you have an announcement?